0: There's an obsessive personality that um, can be very destructive if that obsessive nature is pointed towards negative things. But if it's pointed towards powerful things and positive things, there's nothing that a person with an obsessive or even addictive personality can't do. It's exciting to see. It's exciting to have conversations about life, sustainability, legacy, and not just talking about financing all the time. Don talks about really a commitment to leadership. I think that's the distinctive part that makes it so powerful.
1: I've achieved the American dream and I'm committed to helping others do the same. Well, welcome to the Elite Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Don Wenner. I'm extremely excited to talk to our guest today. He's a world-renowned speaker, author, ultra marathon runner, and will be joining us as a keynote speaker in a few weeks in uh, New Orleans, on an event centered around Legacy, Charlie Engel. Charlie, how are you today? I'm great, Don. Thanks,
0: man, for having me. I appreciate it very much.
1: Well, I know you you, know, you talk a lot and are known for for being an ultra marathoner and some of the incredible um, endurance uh, feats that you've had and, and, and have done and are, and are actively doing and, and helping others do. So I'm going to start off with a, with a question here. Um, maybe a little different than normal, which is if you couldn't run, what would you be doing? You could no longer run for whatever reason. How would, what what would you do? Where would you, where would you put that passion energy and, uh, what what would, what would the focus be?
0: I got to tell you, Don, I just turned 60, uh, last September. So that thought does occur to me from time to time. (laughs) (laughs) I've, I got a lot of wear and tear. I think there's about 155,000 miles, uh, currently on my parts, um, no, I, I appreciate the question because it's, uh, you know, those people that know me know that running is, uh, it, it's, uh, it is a passion. It's a metaphor also for everything else that I do. And physical movement, moving my body, using the the physical energy to actually access the other parts of my mind and my emotions is why I do it. And I actually think that I know for sure. You know, I'm an avid cyclist. I love to kayak. I like to climb mountains. Like, um, you know, I even go so far as to say, okay, what if I lost my legs? You know, I think about these things. And I know what I know is the necessity of being able to, to like burn off the core energy that I have, so that I can get to the good stuff. I mean, I have a feeling you relate to that. Like, it's it's just the necessity, and what i I would find a way to sweat, and it's not that I'm addicted to the the physical activity as much as I am addicted to the aftermath and where that takes me and a lot a lot of people maybe I'll do it in New Orleans. I usually ask an audience if they you know to raise their hand if they hate running, and like ninety percent of the audience will raise their hand. And, you know, and I try to remind people that there was a time in their life that they loved to run. You know, they, they love when you're when you're a kid, you want to run everywhere. If you have kids, you spend half your time telling your kids not to run. And we're built to do it. And it's not until like a, a, a PE teacher uses running as a punishment that we this thing clicks in us. and And we think running is bad and. Uh, for me, it's a vehicle uh, not only for myself, but also for conversation. I don't even like running that much. It's stopping that I like.
1: <laughs> uh, well, I love that. Interesting kind of side story off that. So, and to the, and the question of not being able to run. So, I'm right now talking to Charlie from uh, Queenstown, New Zealand. And you can kind of see here out my window um, the mountains and the lake here. I don't know if you've spent any time here in Queenstown, but amazing hiking and, and uh, here. it's It's just. Uh, cry while you've been Dude, you
0: are in my favorite. You're in my favorite place. I forgot that you were <laughs> you were going to be in New Zealand, and uh, like it is, it's my favorite bun, uh, bungee jumping spot in the world. So if you haven't bungee jumped there, I, I I expect a full report with pictures from from the bridge in Queenstown. Back in my old adventure racing days, I, I had the good fortune of doing a couple of races in that area and spending quite a bit of time. It's it is the adventurer's playground of the planet,
1: I think. It is. It absolutely is. And, and, and funny kind of story to, to the question I asked you is so, yesterday I was at this big park with my kids, and it was gorgeous out and surrounded by these incredible mountains. And um, there's a skate park there. And, and my kids are riding these, I bought them some uh, scooters. They're riding these scooters around the skate park. And this guy comes up who's you know, maybe 30 years old in a wheelchair. To the skate park, right? You think, all right, he's gonna he's gonna skate around on, on a wheelchair, right? He he gets his buddy to pick him up on the wheelchair, straps his wheelchair onto a skateboard, and skateboards, right? And oh I was like, God. oh, he's already on wheels, but like that wasn't enough. Yeah. Like so, he's sitting sideways on a skateboard in a wheelchair, skating around yeah. on a, a skateboard. And I thought, to him, like, wow, this guy doesn't want any excuse, right? There's no excuse. Yeah. Anybody else be like, you know? No way! I'm getting. I could get on a skateboard, right? Somehow, I mean, it was it was amazing to watch. So, uh, I'm sure you'd find a way to get that energy out and continue to yeah, do amazing. That's classes. powerful.
0: It's powerful. And I mean, I, I do think that that's the key. Is that it is mindset, and I, you spend a lot of time on mindset, and you know, asking these what if questions. It is kind of like asking about your business or your family. You know. What if my business failed? What if my marriage failed? What, I mean, we, we, it's important to actually ask those questions in advance because, uh, you know, otherwise, you know, you, you probably have no clue of what you would actually do. And that's
1: when people, you know, really nosedive. Agreed. So, you know, when people here and give us, give us a framework, give us an idea, you know, you can, not always answer this question, the, the, what ultra marathon means and how long of a distance and how, in most people's eyes, crazy of kind of. Adventures you're out out doing. Give us a framework of that. But you know, when people hear these feats that you're gonna you talk about. You know, people say that that's nuts. You know, why would you do that? Right? That that uh, you know why number one, but how right? Can you can you go so far so long? Yeah. You know, so talk to us. How how do you drive that? How do you come up with an incredible level of endurance um, to keep going in these these challenges that most people would frankly quit would not even attempt, yeah. let alone if they did you know couldn't couldn't complete.
0: No, I appreciate the question. I mean, first of all, I think it's an inverted graph that you'll relate to. Reasonably intelligent people do like five k's and then maybe ten k's, and then as the or I do it this way: as the intelligence goes down, the length of <laughs> the length of distance and time that you run goes up. So basically, that's why I qualify to run, you know, a hundred miles at a time or more. <laughs> Um, no, but it's a, it is a, it's a process and, and for me it is a, um, uh, it's been this journey, you know, again, I don't want to tell my entire story here cause I'll do it on stage, but you know, I struggled with addiction early. There's a lot of relationships between, I mean, a lot of the people that work in your world are addicts, maybe not in the sense of a drug addict or an alcoholic, but there's an obsessive personality that. Um, can be very destructive if that obsessive nature is pointed towards negative things. But if it's pointed towards powerful things and positive things, there's nothing that a person with an obsessive or even addictive personality can't do. And so, you know, for me, the evolution of running Uh, directly correlated to success in other parts of my life so as a speaker as a business owner as a writer that was the other answer to the question a minute ago too i am a writer i love to write i've I've got a book i've I've written for tons of magazines and i do love the process of writing because it's it's equally excruciating (laughs) you've You and many of the people in that audience have probably written a book or done a fair amount of writing, and it's an awful process with (laughs) incredible self-gratifying rewards. It, It doesn't even matter if you write a crappy book or you run a crappy marathon. The process of taking the steps to commit to something that's hard and getting it done, that's actually what I am most interested in. Physical is the place that I know I can create suffering <laughs> like very quickly. So part of the reason that I do run and I still run very long distances is uh, that I know it's the place I can scrape away all of the daily stuff that we accumulate just, just by being alive, Business, you know, 20 calls a day and all the responsibilities we have. I go out for a run. I'll usually put on somebody else's book in my headphones. All of a sudden, uh, you know, the roulette wheel in my head with all the ball. With you know, I always say mine has a a ball for every slot. My roulette wheel, and and after a couple of miles, they all sort of settle down and find a spot. And I can finally then find the thing that I really need to be thinking about and and focusing on. Otherwise, it's a it's a jumble, man. I am. I have a chaotic brain, and and that's my that's the hardest thing I have to overcome daily is, is focusing on the tasks that actually need to be done, and running helps me do
1: that. Awesome. So you use the term there, suffering, and mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people think of that as as a negative thing, and 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 you used it in a very positive framework. I use I like to use the word uh, struggle, and yeah. um and which is you know similar similar word and, and similar meaning, uh, but. Uh, question for you is, you know, is, is when you think about the word suffering or, or struggle, again, most people, uh, you know, avoid it, avoid any suffering, avoid struggle. They think of that as the, and I mean, one of my favorite books, I'm sure you've read is The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. And, and you know, that idea that, that, that struggle is, is a good thing. I want to ask you a question. We have a lot of, I'd say probably the majority here, a big percentage of our, our listeners, you know, have, have kids and, and many I, I know uh, who will be with us in New Orleans have, have young kids. Um, and i love your perspective on, you know, the importance of struggle or suffering for all of us, but certainly for, for children and their, their creation as, as the Society of Helicopter Parents, we don't want to allow our kids to suffer or struggle. And how do you think about the importance and the, and the value that comes from that?
0: I mean, first of all, your word is actually better than mine. And struggle is the word that I use a lot because there's only one. Look, we, we don't all relate to success. Or if we do it looks different for everybody. Quite frankly, struggle looks the same for everybody. Now, it doesn't mean that it's, it, it comes in different forms, but struggle is emotional, physical, You know, it comes from our relationships or from our health or our business. Like most of the people in that room, if you asked them to privately write down their biggest struggle, it would fall into like three or four categories and they'd all be the same. Now, what that, how that manifests, of course, you know, looks different. But what I would say is, (laughs) and I actually use this all the time in when I'm doing training sessions with, in particular with executive groups, because people will say, you know, I just want my kids to have it easier than me. And I say to them, my first question is always like, what do you have against your kids? It's like, because that's a, that's a, if I dig into their background and I ask them, how did you become the person that you are today? nobody tells me the story of how easy it was it's always a story of struggle because that's what it is so why would you want to why would you want to snowplow everything out of the way for your kids now i'm not suggesting you know letting them go run in the street but anything short of that they need to figure it out for them for themselves you know and if and if uh, I've raised two boys, so I do have the right as a parent to at least say how I did it. And I, I don't have the right to tell other people how to do it. But I encourage parents to uh, not be the rescuer. Not You don't have to be, it doesn't have to be in the tough love form. It doesn't have to be uh, anything like that. But I will also, I think the best answer to the question is, A principle in addiction recovery is called attraction rather than promotion. And what I mean by that when I say that is people are way more attracted to your actions, to the things that they see you do rather than the words that come out of your mouth. That goes for your employees. It goes for whoever it is in your life. But it's no more important in any part of your life than in your family life and at home. And I'm sorry if I'm calling anybody out here, but if you're the dad that's sitting on the sofa telling their kids to go out and play, you're missing the point. Now, if you got business and you're on, unda- I understand you got you to take care of things and whatever, but it, but the best way you can teach your kids the most valuable lessons about hardship and struggle is to go on that journey with them. You know, I, I will say the best, probably the best thing as a dad I ever did is I took my kids to Yosemite like 10 years in a row and they were young and and we would climb to the top of half dome and do it safely. you know i mean i I'd have them with climbing harness I taught them I'd have them with climbing harnesses and we would use carabiners and ropes, and I'd teach them how to make sure they've got two carabiners and when they're when they're going up the the giant climb with a ladder, you know they clip in here for safety, and then they pull the other one up and they continue on and they 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 understand the relationship with having bumpers and safety mechanisms and not being terrified of doing something. And, you know, I think that that, you know, that metaphor works in all other aspects. And I'll finish the answer with part of the reason I run when I run 100, I've never run 100 miles in my life that, I, that it didn't suck at some point. <laughs> because it's a long way to run. And at some point, usually 50, 60, 70 miles, I am thinking to myself very out loud in my head, why did I think this was a good idea? You know, this is terrible. I'm an idiot. All, all of the self-defeating conversation. But the reality is the whole point of being there is to get to that point where I can't possibly go on and then find a way to move beyond it. Because in reality it's a moment and that's when people quit things. Whether it's physical like running a marathon, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your business, you hit that low spot and all of a sudden you want to quit. Whereas if you just take a beat, so I know with running I need to eat, I need to, I need to drink, Maybe I need to stop running. I don't need to sit down, but I need to start walking. And 15 minutes later, my pain will go from a a 10 to an 8. But that is all the difference in the world. It still sucks, but it's manageable and I can keep going. So with kids, if they don't ever get an opportunity to basically have that same experience, then how can they possibly learn to overcome... Uh, the challenges that are unavoidable and you know if I I don't I don't even I know parts of your story and I'm not necessarily asking you right now unless you want but if I asked you who made what made you who you are today you or what was the hardest thing you've ever faced it would actually ultimately be the thing that has caused all of your success
1: I think it's a it's a great great point to add to to that so you know I uh, and your comment of the you know, the, the the dad telling their kids to go out and be active and sitting on the couch kind of. Uh, uh, so, you know, we, we have this, you'll hear me kind of talk about this in New Orleans, but um, we call the, one of the, our core values, one of the things I focus on is what I call living fully, which is, um, you know, succeeding in all areas of life. And we, we call it uh, the eight Fs of life, faith, family, friends, freedom, fun, fulfillment, fitness, and finance. And what I think about it is anytime I'm just working on one of those areas uh, I'm, I'm. that's a single, to use a baseball metaphor, right? I want doubles, triples, home runs. I want to be doing multiple of these things together, right? So um, so I do most of, you know, places here in Queensland. I'm out hiking with my kids. They don't love it as much as I do, but we're out hiking together, right? I head coach my kids' sports, um, so I'm out there with them. I'm out there doing this stuff with them every day. It's a great time to, 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 to do so many things at the same time, certainly build, you know, be a father and family time, but also... You know we're, we're working on our, our, our getting in shape and, and improving and and it brings me just a quick uh, struggle story that, that always sticks with me so um, so one of my sons is a really good athlete and uh, he plays uh, basketball and uh, he's the second best was the second best kid on the team and being able to dribble the ball by a distant but big distance the kid who had the ball and plays basketball and he could control that ball move it around he was the point guard and um, we go and play this this really good team and um, first half of the game, the one, the defender who guarding our best dribbler took the ball from him 20 times, like no exaggeration, took the ball from him. Like every time down the, the court. Right. So all of a sudden that kid had a stomach ache, right. And he couldn't, he didn't uh, feel good. Uh, he needed to come out of the game. Right. And his dad happens to be the head coach and, um, uh, took him out of the game. And he's sitting there with a tummy ache cause he felt embarrassed. Right. that because he's struggling. Right. Yeah. So my son takes yeah. over as point guard and he's coming down, and the ball gets taken from him. Every time he comes down the court. Right. So he's looking over to me as dad and, and coach, please take me out of the game. You know, his knee hurts. He hurt his head. His stomach hurts. Right. Any, anyway, I'm doing everything I can not to make eye contact because, you know, I'm dad and I, you know, I don't want him to be out there struggling. He feels embarrassed. He's on the verge of crying. Uh, you know, he was eight years old. But uh, and and but, I you know, kept him in there, made him fight through it. And he felt he was letting his teammates down and, and you know, just was overwhelmed. Um, but I was like, you know, this, these are the moments, right? And it's just a small thing in the scheme of the kind of challenges you've had or, or even I've had to let extent, right? But, but just those little moments that you don't have to go out of your way to that you to make it hard, but to let them struggle not to step in and plow the snow out of the way, to use your term. So um, I think that's... Well, such, it gives a- you
0: the chance also to be, you know, to be the loving father. And I, I'm going to tell you, I did not have a dad who... You know, he did not come to my games. He did not. Didn't matter. I was very good at a lot of sports when I was young, and you know, whatever it was in him did not allow him to love me in the way that I needed. Uh, and I tried very hard to get his attention, and I have done it the exact opposite way with my kids. Not not to the degree that they get a trophy for coming in last place, because I don't. I don't believe in that either. But you know you, you you try as many things as possible and your son will remember that game and hopefully it will at some point be the thing that drives him towards getting better rather than away from the challenge because of course that's what we all worry about is that our kids will um, shrink from the challenge and i and i do think it's important you know not by no means getting involved in in how you do it but um To turn it into that thing, well, you know, you you need to get better at not you need to. See, I'm even using the wrong language, you know. But you know, help without even saying the words. It's like, okay, you know what? Why don't we get a coach to work with once a week on just dribbling for a little while? And in a very short period of time, you know, your son will not only be the best dribbler on the team, but he will be. Uh, you know, better than the other kid on his own team. And I, and I do think that that's the way it works. Or what I also say is sometimes, you know, sometimes you just learn that maybe basketball's not your game and then you, and then it helps you move to something else. I, I and, have to like, you don't know this about, I don't think I said this in the book, but I actually played, so I played basketball at North University of North Carolina for a couple of years. And maybe I did say it in the book, but um You know i was there with a guy most people have heard of michael jordan and james worthy and sam perkins and you know and i was on the jv team definitely not on the varsity team but i got a chance to be on the court with those guys uh you know day after day a lot of times and you want to talk about the ultimate in humiliation you know i was like i was like all state in my sports you know in high school and Talk about getting your pocket picked every time you come down court or whatever—it was nothing but a lesson in, in humiliation for a couple of years. But they're the greatest lessons I you know I ever learned you know by far uh, those and it and it helped propel me uh, to to knowing that I want those challenges. I'd rather have the challenge be terrified of stepping onto the course or climbing the mountain or doing whatever it is that I've got in front of me, rather than being comfortable in the knowledge that I already know I can do it. Because if if that was the case, then why, why would I do it? I think that's the thing when we get older, people forget that you really do need to take on things sometimes that you have no idea if it's possible. And you're not worried what everybody else is going to think if you fail.
1: Well well said, and to your notice, I move to the next question. Yes, my son, then immediately started one on one basketball coaching, and now we carry <laughs> the basketball everywhere we go on this trip, we've been all, yeah. all over the world where basketball's with us, and we're dribbling for at least a half hour every day. so um, yeah. so yeah, it's a, we embrace
0: we to- the challenge,
1: baby. embrace
0: the challenge and and you know what it is he'll show up the next time, playing that same kid might be might be this year, might might be five years from now, but the day will come where he'll, he'll know that he's going to be facing that kid again, and he gets a chance to take another crack at it. There's nothing
1: better. Well well said. So one of our other speakers joining us in, in New Orleans is a gentleman named Lloyd Reeb. Uh, Lloyd's one of the most incredible people I know, wrote a book called Success to Significance, and was the co-founder of an organization called Halftime. And um, yeah. one of the things uh, Lloyd introduced me to, and as part of something he's helped many successful people, um, uh, Uh, people evaluate and and think about in in their life is what he calls what are your perfect life metrics and the way he he positions it is if in 30 years from now Charlie you and I were sitting on a park bench and and I turned over to you we're walking on a hiking trail and I said to you Charlie you know how did the last 30 years of your life go what are the things that would have had happened for you to be able to say man these last 30 years of my life were perfect right doesn't mean you didn't have struggle didn't mean you didn't have loss and challenge and 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 uh, but but you look ahead what you're going to accomplish next years. how would you answer and that's a big question to, to ask you as we wrap up our conversation but what how what would you say what are the most important things today for success for you you look back 30 years from now
0: it's a fantastic question i i will say that i have a little bit of a cheating uh, uh, ability on this because i recently wrote my own eulogy It was an exercise uh, that I, I, yeah, that I did at a place and it was, I mean, I'm sitting there, I'm, I literally start writing and I'm thinking, this is stupid. And five minutes later, I'm crying my eyes out and I'm like, (laughs) you know, that whole thing. But, you know, at this point, like if I, if if I'm looking at the previous 30 years from this very moment uh, in particular, you know, I feel, um, I feel bad. Satisfied in the sense that my motives were good and that my heart was uh, that believed very seriously in the single philosophy that uh, to keep it, you have to give it away. It's a core principle that I live by. And it is it's the powerful ability to take whatever gift you have. Doesn't matter whether it's your whether you're an artist or a musician or an athlete or you're wealthy or whatever but some whatever you have on abundance of figuring out a way to use that for a means to help other people and i believe that these past 30 years it's ironic because i'm 30 years clean and sober at this point so it's much easier for me to say that these past 30 years have been uh, very much geared towards uh you know, sort of empathy for the world and the ability to compassion for other people. I lived a very, very selfish life before then because that's what drug addicts do. And uh, I think the most important point, I'm talking in a big circle, but I will say this because it just dawned on me. I spent the first 10 or 15 years, I think of these last 30 trying to make up for things that I had screwed up and, and make it up to people Make it up to myself, make it up to whatever. And I don't know if that was the right way to go, but I didn't know how else to do it. Luckily, that led me to a path where I understood that I'm just human and that, you know, whatever power in the universe you believe in, I certainly believe that, you know, I was forgiven and that, you know, what I needed to do was take that obsessive energy I talk about, point it towards positive things. And ask myself, how can I continue to impact other people? And and the answer is to keep it, you have to give it away. You know, I, I do these big adventures, but I honestly don't, you know, I call them cultural exploration. Uh, because the one and I would even say the, the best thing I've done in these 30 years is see the planet. I have I have run across 40 countries. And I don't mean in 40 countries. I mean, across and when you embed yourself in another culture that you don't understand, and in particular one that you might actually be afraid of, or that you might have very negative impressions of, if you immerse yourself in that culture, almost every single time, you'll come away with a completely different view. And, uh, and that is one thing that I can very proudly say that I've done and that
1: I want to continue to do. Awesome. Well, I love that, Charlie. I'm going to let us end with that uh, as my last question. Um, I'm going to turn to you. Number one, how does outside of joining us at our legacy event, which you can go to DLP Capital, put it in the show notes uh, dot and, and, and click and join us for our legacy event November twenty or sorry March twenty second to the twenty fifth. But outside of that, how do people get a hold of you? How do they reach you? How do they learn more? Um, I'm a one uh, stop last- shop, man. Just yeah, I'm a one stop
0: shop. Just go to my website, which is just charlieingle.com and all the social media stuff is there all the a lot of my writings you can order a book if you're so inclined um you know anything is pretty much there my phone number and my email uh you know i've got some people that work for me but i insist on the phone number and email on my website actually being mine because i want if somebody hears something especially around addiction or around running or whatever i want to make sure that they can reach me so all of that on there is uh you can get to me directly and i, I really look forward to seeing you we're not
1: too far away so i'll see you soon yes yes can't, can't wait look forward to very much thank you charlie this has been awesome and dot uh, angle.com learn more and i'll see you in new orleans all right don take care